Just to give you a sense, we're winding up our class on sin. Today, we're going to talk about the issue of sin, the degrees of sin. It's an important issue, and uh, we'll work through it. Maybe something you've thought about, maybe something you haven't. Katrin actually raised the issue, Not, I think it was last class, so I knew we were going to address it this class, so we'll get a little bit more in-depth than that. But why don't we start with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your adopted children, assured of your love for us in Christ, that he has accomplished our redemption and secured it through his sacrifice and resurrection, and uh, so that we know that we have peace with you and a great hope of glory. We praise you for that hope that is steadfast through the ups and downs of life. And we pray, praise you that you have given us the Lord's Day every week to gather for worship with a local church. And thank you for our local church. We pray your blessing upon the church body as it meets all the little ones in their classes and uh, us as adults in our classes. We pray that as we begin our time, our day studying your word and what it teaches on various subjects, that you would bless us richly with renewal of mind and uh, transformation of heart. And we pray for our time in this class that you would give us understanding on this challenging but important subject. And we pray it for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Degrees of sin. That's what we're going to talk about. Question. Are all sins equal? Are all sins equal? We've all heard or perhaps made at different times in our life statements like the following about sin. Your sins are no worse than anyone else's sins. Sin is sin. All sins are equal. Your sins and mine are different, but they're all the same before God. All sins are equal in God's sight. That type of statement, perhaps we've said such things ourselves, perhaps we've thought such things, perhaps we've heard such things, probably all of us have heard something along those lines or thought something along those lines at some point in our life. Now, we have to clarify that usually these kinds of statements are motivated by a good desire, the desire to avoid self-righteousness, you know, looking down our nose at someone else for their sin when we ourselves are guilty of sins. In order to sort of flatten things out, just saying across the board, look, all sins are the same in God's eyes. And so, you know, we have no reason to boast, to avoid being judgmental, So, motivated often by a good desire, but these kinds of statements, this idea that all sins are equal in God's sight, mostly doesn't reflect the teaching of Scripture and can be harmful. And so, this is an important issue to think through because it's not just a matter of a fine point of Scripture, but it, it does affect our lives. Uh, what we think about this aspect of the doctrine of sin. Okay, so I do want to highlight one sense in which all sins are equal. One sense in which all sins are equal. And that is that all sins deserve death and separate us from God. 
Um, so first of all, you guys are all familiar with Romans 6.23. Can anyone quote it? Okay, we're confusing Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Uh, yeah. Right, so if you think of the Romans road, you know, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So, Every sin, even one sin, is uh, the penalty for that is death. Because of the seriousness of any sin, right? Any sin, even the smallest sin, is rebellion against God. As old R.C. Sproul used to put it, cosmic treason. So we see that in Genesis 2, you know, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So even one simple, small sin is worthy of death. And in that sense, all sins are equal. And just to add some layers on here, Paul, would you be willing to look up Galatians 3.10? And Chuck, would you uh, be willing to look up James 2.10? Galatians 3.10, James 2.10. We'll look at these two verses. Let's start with Galatians 3.10. All right, Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not obey or abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So, Paul says, anyone who's relying on law-keeping is under a curse. Think about that for a second. If anyone depends upon keeping the law to make them right with God, they're under the curse. How could he say that? Because the law says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So anyone who's relying on law keeping is under a curse because they would have to keep everything in the law, not breaking it, but doing everything in the law in order to be right with God. And so since no one can do that, anyone who's going that route is under a curse. And the implication is that when it says abide by all things, is that if you broke it even once, right, you would be under a curse. The wages of sin is death, even one sin. And then James 2.10 is a similar theme. For whoever keeps the holy law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. That's an interesting thing. What is he saying? Is he saying that if I... If I break the command, you shall not murder. I'm guilty of breaking all the other commands. I don't think that's what he's saying. It's, it's, he's like, he's saying, if you break even one command of the law, you're guilty of breaking the law as a whole, right? So think of the law as like a string. Doesn't matter if you break it over here, over here, over here. Once you break it, it's broken, right? And so this is the idea here is that in this sense, all sins deserve death, separate us from God. All, even breaking one sin brings you under God's curse. Okay, so in that sense, all sins are equal, in that sense. And we would add to that that this makes all human beings equal in a sense, right? With respect to sin, that all have sinned and are separated from God, and are under the sentence of death. And so in that sense, there is a flattening. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, 
sin entered into the world through one man and death spread to all men because all sin. So there is a universality with respect to all men having suffered the same penalty because all have sinned and the wages of even one sin is death. So there is a sort of equality in this sort of limited sense when it comes to sin. Any questions on that? Comments? Okay. But scripture makes clear that in many other ways, all sins are not equal. All right? And so even though there is one sense in which all sins are equal, that they all deserve death, yet in many other ways, all sins are not equal in the scripture. And it's important that we understand this. So I want to start with some explicit biblical evidence for this. Explicit biblical evidence. The scriptures explicitly say that some sins are worse than others. So there's it's just a fact that the scripture explicitly says this. Let's see, uh, Julie, would you read Ezekiel 8? And let's just read Ezekiel 8, 6. But I'm going to point to verses 13 and 15 as well. And then Quinn, John 19, 11. So these are texts which just explicitly say that some sins are greater than others. So let's start with Ezekiel 8, 6. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here drive me far from my sanctuary, that you will see still greater abominations. Okay, so if you're familiar with this passage in Ezekiel, I mean, I bet you all of you are familiar with Ezekiel chapter 8, right? Um, He takes the prophet in a vision, seems in a vision, To the city of Jerusalem, Ezekiel is in exile in Babylon, takes him to Jerusalem and shows him, takes him into different parts of the temple. And the deeper he gets into the temple, the more more severe abominations he sees Israel committing there. And so God, he says, do you see this abomination? I will show you still greater abominations. And that phrase is repeated down in verse 13. He said to me also, you will still see greater abominations that they commit. And then you get down to verse 15. Have you seen this, O son of man? Then you will see still greater abominations. So there's a a tear. It's explicitly saying there are abominations and there are worse abominations, right? There are sins and there are worse sins. And there are worse sins still. So that's one text, John 19, 11. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. All right. So there's Pilate. He will sin in having Jesus flogged and crucified. And yet, Jesus says, the Jews who delivered him over to Pilate have committed a greater sin. Once again, there's sin. There's greater sin. And so the Bible just explicitly says that some sins are worse than, of greater magnitude than others. Let's look at another category here. Uh, Let's see, Isaiah, would you read Numbers 15, 27 through 31? Numbers 15, 27 through 31. Again, Numbers 15 is probably very familiar to you, but let's just review this little portion here. This is 
a section. If you're familiar with numbers at all, you know that it's sort of a, I, I use the word, it's very, um, not boring. <laughs> That's not quite what I was going for. Um, but it is a hodgepodge, if you will, of laws and stories, yeah. right? And, um, and there is an order to it, but it seems odd that there would be a story and then all of a sudden you could be reading a law about, you know, sacrifices or something. Well, this is a law about different kinds of sins. And so let's read verses 27 through 31. Also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring near a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before Yahweh for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be pardoned. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is made among the sons of Israel, and for the sojourner who sojourns among them. For the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or a sojourner, that one is blaspheming Yahweh. And that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of Yahweh and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. So what do you think it means when it says, it's a a literal, straightforward translation, committing a sin with a high hand. What do you think that is the difference between unintentional and high-handed sin? Yeah, it's it's intentional. Kind of like just your... Snubbing your nose at God. Yeah, yeah, it's like a. In, the, in your faith. Yeah, it's an attitude of rebellion. Like I don't care if God says this, I'm doing it right. And soberly, in the law, it says that a person who does that, there's no, there's no um, forgiveness. They're they're cut off from the community. Where if a person sins unintentionally, they would not. And so this raises questions in our mind, right? About how does this all work out and. I think there's a lot to be said about that. I, I don't think that the implication of this is that any sin that was committed on purpose was in the category of high-handed sin. For instance, uh, you know, when Moses struck the rock twice, when God said to strike it once, was that just a complete accident? No, it was intentional. But Moses wasn't cut off out of the covenant community. So there's nuances here. But the point that I want to draw out of here is that in the Old Testament law, you see evidence of different degrees of sin, that some sins are more severe and have a more severe punishment, therefore. And so you can see within the law itself that there are different degrees of sin. And this is a very explicit Let's look at another category, Leviticus 18. I I am not going to have anyone read the actual statutes in the chapter because it is pretty graphic. But as you get down to the end of the chapter, there's sort of these summary statements. So Leviticus 18, so let's see where we at. Janelle, would you be willing to read Leviticus 18, 26 through 30? And then, uh, Angie, would you be willing to read Proverbs 6, 16 through 19? And so, remember, Leviticus 18 and 20, you should have those in your mind, because in our day, they become very important. In fact, many unbelievers know about these chapters, because these these are the famous uh, chapters regarding sexual standards within the nation of Israel. Both in Leviticus 18, it's the laws. Leviticus 20, it's the punishments. So this is the famous chapter of 
a man shall not lie with a man as he lies with a woman. It is an abomination, right? It's that famous verse that has become so widely known and controversial in our day. So, but that's just one of many such laws in the chapter. Then you get to the end, Leviticus 18, 26 through 30. Let's read that. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Through 31, yeah. Okay. Everyone who does all these detestable things, such persons must be cut, cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came, and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Okay. And then let's add to this another chapter, also fairly well known, in Proverbs. Proverbs six sixteen through 18. Uh, Angie, would you read that? There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises evil, wicked, uh, devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Okay, so... You know, when you step back and you you look at these passages, you see that in each of these, so in Leviticus 18, God is singling out a particular category of sins. And he uses language that is striking. You know, these things are an abomination. And the Hebrew word is toeva. It's translated differently in some versions. I think in the version that you read, uh, what version were you using? That was uh, NAS. Yeah, so and NAS translates it detestable things, right? NIV. So, but but that's what it means: abomination, detestable thing, toeva in the Hebrew. It it has a length, uh, a sense of these things are especially bad in God's sight, and the the punishment comes across that way too, right? If you commit these things, the land will spew you out as it spewed out the inhabitants before you. So these were the things that led to God dispelling the Canaanites, wiping the Canaanites out at the hands of the Israelites. And he's saying, if you do these same types of things, you too will be. And and the same in Proverbs 6. He said, you know, there are six things that the Lord hates, right? That doesn't mean that God doesn't hate all sin. Of course he does. But it's sort of singling out six things and saying, these things are an abomination to him. They are toeva. They are especially bad in his sight, detestable in his sight. And not the fact is, is that not all sins are described that way. So again, explicit testimony in scripture that there are different degrees of sin, different degrees of seriousness, of severity. Some sins are worse than others. Make sense? Any questions about about that. Well, the Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 one, I remember, like, when I read that one, I'm like, the very beginning one, I'm like, yeah, shedding blood, murder. Okay, got it. But then, right. like, a, a person who sows discord or a, what were the other ones? Just proud lips. Yeah, proud lips, like, things I'm like, oh. Yeah. Like, that's right up there with an abomination that is, like, 
murder. So sometimes I'm like, yikes. Yeah, and again, I think I think there are even within these categories a lying tongue, a person who is a blatant liar who goes around telling falsehoods. We all lie, <laughs> but there is also degrees of that. Who devises wicked plans? Okay, well, there's a sense in which we all do that in a in subtle ways all the time. You know, like I think I told you the example of Ted Tripp and his parenting series. He talks about how. He went down to the kitchen and got ice cream for he and his wife. And as he's going up the stairs, he's like feeling out which is heavier. And he's planning, devising, he's going to take the heavier one and give his wife. So in the midst of doing something kind for her, he's actually scheming how he can act selfishly, right? Okay, we all, we all do that. But we also, we also know that there is, there's degrees of, you know, what about Jezebel concocting a way to get Nabal's vineyard? And how he would have him publicly accused of some capital crime and then executed without a trial, right? And I think, so I think that's the type of thing. There's a high-handedness to all these things. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. Has no problem testifying falsely against someone else. Who sows discord among brothers, intentionally creating rifts in the community of God's people, etc., etc. So, Janelle, I think you know there's a sense in which we could put ourselves in all these categories at one level, but I think it's sort of describing them as these blatant and intentional uh, indulgences of these things, willfully doing what God hates in a sort of high-handed way. Right, right, as a lifestyle, right? And, and there's, there's no repentance here, you know? This is, uh, but, but nevertheless, I mean, does God hate it when we commit these sins at a lower level? Yes, he does, right? He hates all sin. But it's just that there are passages where it's just, it's sort of the Lord's singling out these things. Look, these things I really despise, you know? So you, you can't get around it. You, you would think, well, God, come on, let's not be, you know, let's not be prejudiced against some sins over others. Well, we're just, the Bible is clear that God sort of singles out in certain passages, certain sins as more heinous than others. So there's explicit biblical evidence that there are degrees to sin. There's greater sins. There's unintentional versus high-handed. There's abomination versus more run-of-the-mill, if you will. This person is a believer if they are acting in this way? I think that, you know, you take a passage like uh, 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul, he says, uh, 6 9, famously, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There are multiple passages like this. Saying, Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you can be deceived about it, right? I mean, I I remember being at a particular church where it was a, sort of a mainline liberal church that I attended for a various reason, a relative, being in town, etc. And uh, learned through the process of just because there were friendships involved that one of the guys leading worship was living with his girlfriend, you know, and everyone in the church knew it, but 
no one, no one uh, saw a problem with it, right? Well, I think this is the type of thing we could be deceived into thinking that we can live a lifestyle of blatant, unrepented sin, and we think it's fine. But the scripture says, do not be deceived. You know, those who practice these things, and I think that is the idea, an ongoing, continuous behavior without repentance, right? Homosexuality, adultery, uh, idolatry, thievery, greed, drunkenness, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's something different than a person who's entangled in a sin. They're grieved over it. They're repenting every time, but they can't get out of it. They keep it secret for a while, and then it comes out, and they're seeking. That's something different than, I think, what we're talking about here. Katrina. Actually, that's not what you're going to say. Okay, that's okay. I probably threw you off by that last comment, but yeah. The, the list in, of the abomination, the, the six, no seven, that seems almost, it's, it's like with the Paul's list, it seems like a laundry list of lots of different things. Mm-hmm. The abomination almost seems like a character study. Like this is a this is like a type of person who could do any of these things or who, or who does all these, like almost like a psychopath, right? Right. Well, I, I think, so you remember in Genesis 17, 17? No, 15. The vision that Abraham, the dream Abraham has with the, the, the fire pot and the Lord passes through the pieces. You remember that? And in there he says that you will go down into Egypt for 300 years uh, and then I'll bring you out and bring you into the land because the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. So 300 more years until the sin of the Canaanite peoples will reach a level of extremity to where they're like a ripe fruit ready to be plucked and cast out of the land. So I, I would say, I would say that Gen- what he's doing in, Levitic- or in uh, Leviticus 18 is he's saying, look, these are the sins that had become rampant among the Canaanites for which I wiped them out and for which you will be expelled from the land too, if you begin to practice them. So, and I, so I think his the implication is that it's like a society when it gets worse and worse and worse and worse, it'll practice these things, and and these things are like the types of things that a society will do at this sort of really bad stage, you know. And you know, it talks about things in there that are pretty hard to even read. Now, not everything in the chapter is that way. But so I think, I think it's, it's the degree of depravity. Um, yeah, Katrin. Okay, good, yeah. Um, it, it also, Christ says that even as you think these things, you know, looking upon a woman and whatnot, that um, he holds us to a higher degree. It's not just these things that you do them, but as a Christian, we should not be tempted by them, you know, that it's not just the act of, but he's trying to bring to our attention, I believe, that it it starts, of course, in the mind, in the heart, and and that leads to it, so in in Christ's warning of... Well, and I think the reality is, is that all of our sinful natures are prone to a range of sinful desires. So let's just take Leviticus 18 is sexual immorality, various kinds of sexual immorality. Well, we all have sexual 
the immoral desires. If God were to give us over to those desires, we would get worse and worse and worse, and we, we, our flesh can come up with all kinds of created ways to mutate those desires. So none of us is exempt from these various degrees of sin. And in fact, God is merciful to the worst sinners, right? I mean, you think of uh, when the Israelites did show up at Canaan, and they were like ripe fruit. Their sin had reached its fullness. And there was a Canaanite harlot, right? Whom the Lord, she cried out for mercy and he, and he uh, rescued her. Or later on, when Israel had become like the Canaanites in their abominations, you remember King Manasseh? King Manasseh was the most wicked of all the kings. He reigned for 50 years, right? And that's what sort of was the last straw. But then do you remember the, what happened with him? He got taken away into Assyria, I think it was. And in the Assyrian prison, he was brought low. And he repented. And he cried out to God. And what did God do? Had mercy on him. And restored him to his kingdom. So, when we say these things, A, we're not looking down our long nose and saying, well, that man, those are for only really bad people will do that. No, we all have the capability if God were to remove restraint. And even really bad people who have been given over to severe sins are not beyond redemption, are they? Right? <laughs> and thank goodness for that. Right? Or the, the promise of forgiveness. Whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, um, so that's uh, explicit biblical evidence. Let's look at implicit evidence. And uh, we're going to have to go a little faster here. The scriptures implicitly indicate that some sins are worse than others in a variety of ways. So let's uh, actually pull all these up and we'll, I'll sign these verses and we'll read through them a little bit quicker. Let's see, where are we at here? Carly, would you be willing to look up verse, read a verse? Deuteronomy 22. 23 through 24. Keith, if you would read Exodus 22, 16 through 20. All right. Gwen, Matthew 23, 23. Phil, Matthew 11, 21 through 22. Diane, Diane I knew that. Uh, Luke 12, 47 through 48. Louise, Matthew twelve thirty one through thirty two, and then Marcus, First John five sixteen through seventeen. Okay, so let's let's read through. For one thing, we see degrees of punishment in the old covenant law. Okay, so what I'm going to have do is have Carly read Deuteronomy twenty two twenty three through twenty four, and then Keith right after that, I'll have you read Exodus twenty two sixteen through twenty. And we'll compare these two laws. So let's start with Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 24. Okay. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, but she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. All right. 
Deuteronomy 22.16-20 If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for virgins. He shall not allow a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices to any god other than to the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed. Okay, so Deuteronomy 22, 20 to 23 and 24. A woman who is a betrothed virgin, a man meets her in the city and lies with her. There he and the woman are stoned to death. And it says, the woman, because she did not cry for help, in other words, this was consensual, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you have a betrothed virgin involved with a consensual act of adultery. Both of them are stoned. The text that... Keith read is Exodus 22:16-20 If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife So similar acts but why the different consequence why the different punishment why one stoning to death the other he's got to marry her Why do you think well, she's already betrothed to somebody else the first time, so she's already, I mean, I don't want to say someone else's property, but she's committed to somebody else, and, and they're in a relationship. Right. So they both consensually broke the the commitment that yeah. they had previously made. One's redeemable, and the other's not, because it's already committed to someone else. There's a sense in which one situation can be can be rectified, in a way, and the other not. So... Uh, you have to understand, too, that betrothal was a more serious, like, binding relationship. It was virtually, they were considered married, though the marriage was not consummated yet. Because notice it says, the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. She's already called his wife, even though they're just betrothed. So it's considered an act of adultery, whereas the other is not considered an act of adultery. But it's, there's still a taking advantage of, he seduces a virgin who is not betrothed. And in, so in this case, he's to marry her and to pay his, her father a dowry. And so you see two sins. They're both sinful. They're both serious. But the different punishments indicate that they're not equally serious. Because if they were equally serious, you'd think both of them would be put to death. And in fact, you see right there in the text that you have one act, a sin, seducing a virgin who's not betrothed uh, into an immoral relationship, and there is a, neither are put to death. The very next line says, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Sorcery? Death. Seducing a, a young woman who's not betrothed, you have to marry her and pay the bride price. So, two different sins with two different punishments. The punishments imply that the sins are of a different gravity. All right? So, there's an implicit evidence. Uh, Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of men and anise and cumin, 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Okay, so again, implicit, when he says weightier matters of the law, indicates that some commands are more weighty than others. Some commands are more important than others, which implies that to break certain commands is worse than breaking others because the commands are of different weight. So again, implicit evidence. Let's go to Matthew eleven twenty-one and 22. Woe to you, Corson. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Okay, so here we go to the final judgment. And we see that there will be degrees of punishment based upon the degree of sin. So why is it that Chorazin and Bethsaida will be punished with a greater punishment than Tyre and Sidon in the final judgment? Because they didn't repent. They had miracles to have. They had Christ in the midst. Right. They had the gospel place. So these were towns in Galilee where Jesus was going around performing miracles, and they didn't repent. Greater light, greater accountability, greater punishment in the final judgment. Then Tyre and Sidon you know, had no idea. Jesus wasn't up in the Gentile region ministering in that way. He did go up there. He did do some things. Remember the woman from Sidon who asked him to heal her daughter, and, he, and she said, even, even the, the dogs get the crumbs from the table, right? Uh, but, but he wasn't up there ministering, performing miracles. So they have less light, less accountability, less punishment. More is given, more is required. Right. Luke 12, 47-48, who's got that one? The servant who knows the master will and, will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So we have a parable. The parable is talking about the final judgment. Jesus is like a master who has gone away when he comes back and he's going to hold his servants accountable for what they did while he was gone. The final judgment. Those who knew what he required and didn't do it would receive a greater punishment in that final accounting than those who didn't know and didn't do it. So there, again, the difference in punishment indicates different seriousness or gravity to the sins they committed. So there will be degrees of punishment in the final judgment based upon the gravity, the seriousness of their sin. All right, and then finally, um, Matthew twelve thirty-one through 32. Therefore I say to you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven them. The blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Who speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And then let's read First John five sixteen through 17 as well. Marcus. 
<laughs> if anyone that sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, so I'm not going to get into the unforgivable sin here because we are going to actually devote a session to that issue. But suffice it to say that when you read passages like this, you can't help but seeing the implicit reality that there's degrees of sin just by the fact that there are some sin that can't be forgiven. It's more it's of a certain nature that it can't be forgiven. And there's but other sins, most other sins, all other sins, he says, can. So there's two different categories of sin, forgivable sin and unforgivable sin. Whatever this is, it's clear indication and implication that not all sins are equal, right? In their gravity. Okay, so any questions on that before we move move on here? Okay. I know there's questions, I'm sure you have questions about what is the unforgivable sin. But like I said, we will we'll get there. Okay. It's also evident from the different consequences of sin. So this is like more of a, this argument is more of like a, just empirical observation. I'm not going to point you to scriptures here, but I'm just going to point out the obvious. That the difference in the, in that not all sins are equal is evident from the very different consequences of sin. Okay, so let me tell you what I mean. Actually committing an act of adultery against your spouse has worse consequences than lusting after someone who's not your spouse in your heart. They're both sin, but one has far greater consequences than the other. So that's the type of thing where people say, well, look, they're equal. No, they're not equal, (laughs) right? Uh, Committing an act of adultery against your wife or your husband has far greater consequences than lusting after someone in your heart. And those different consequences point to the fact that these two sins, while they're both sinful and odious in their own right, are not of the same gravity. What about murder? (laughs) Actually killing someone out of sinful anger has a worse consequence than just having anger in your heart. Again, both are sinful, but you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life, or if you, in a, you know, live in Sweden for 20 years, then, uh, then, then just having anger against someone in your heart. And the different consequences indicate that they're not the same of the same gravity or seriousness. Stealing has worse consequences than just coveting, desiring what doesn't belong to you. They're both sin, but bearing false witness against someone in court has worse consequences than lying to your parents about taking a cookie. Okay, so two kinds of lies. One is far more serious, right? In fact, in the Old Covenant law, you see this, that if someone explicitly in a court situation bears witness against their neighbor such that their neighbor receives a penalty on the basis of their false witness, God says, when that is discovered, that person should receive the penalty that the other person received. So if that person was convicted of a capital crime and put to death based on the false witness, 
the false witness should be put to death for bearing testimony against that led to that person's death. But taking a cookie from your mom and dad, while it's wrong, is not, and lying about it, is not as serious. So this is, these are just obvious. The fact that some sins have worse consequences than others indicates that some sins are worse than others. So this is just, in some ways, just common sense. You can just see it from, if you just step back, it's just that there's a lot of sort of nonsense that is said about these things with good intentions, you know, oftentimes just so that we're not being judgmental. And sometimes it's a misinterpretation of the Sermon on the Mount, like Jesus said, right? You have heard it said, you shall not murder. I say to you, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you have, uh, you're, you're guilty of hell. But Jesus is not saying that being angry and murdering are of the same seriousness. He's just saying that both are sinful and both are worthy of death and can land you in hell. But he's not saying that they're of the same gravity. Does that make sense? Anyone want a uh, question about that? Yeah, Katrina. Because we were using the example of the adultery versus, you know, the having to marry mm-hmm. um, as consequences. Right. So does that mean that getting married is a punishment? Oh, did I say? <laughs> did I did I say that adultery? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, sorry, if I misspoke there, that is hilarious. Yeah. Okay, any other, any other questions before we look at applications here? I could actually end on time here. This is, I got to figure out a way to extend this out. The main reason people say that is just so that, you know, and the same reason people use the don't judge so that it deflects from being having the condemnation of right i think it could be you could motivate it could be motivated by a desire to downplay the significance of 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 your sin and it could also be motivated by a desire to not sound self-righteous toward another with respect to their sin yeah so let's look at some why does this matter is this really that important of an issue well I think it does matter. Thinking that all sins are equal can undermine a willingness to practice church discipline. My sin is just as bad. Who am I to judge? Right? If you think of all sins as being of equal gravity, such that, you know, lusting after a woman in your heart is the same as adultery, then if a person commits adultery against their wife in their congregation, you're going to be reluctant to do what needs to be done in terms of accountability because you're going to think, well, but I do the same thing. But it's not the same thing. (laughs) The consequences are different. One is more serious than the other. One is something that we struggle with perhaps on a regular basis. The other is something that should not be done by a Christian. And if it is done and not repented of, it immediately it calls into question the credibility of your profession of faith. So it's of a different severity. So confusion on this can lead to that kind of passivity when it comes to sin, both in terms of our own individual lives and corporately with respect to church discipline. Also, thinking all sins are equal can lead people to not take certain sins seriously enough. So could you imagine 
certain in certain quarters of the church, Christians saying, hey, we should stop talking about homosexuality and transgenderism in our society and focus on our own pride and envy in our hearts because they are just as serious. Okay, now, again, if your motivation is we shouldn't be self-righteous looking down our nose toward people because of certain sins, fair enough, right? But let's not pretend that my struggle with envy in my heart... <laughs> or anger in my heart, is of equal seriousness to our society as transgenderism and homosexual marriage and things like that. No, they're not equal, right? One is far, far more serious and will have far more serious consequences upon a society than my struggle with anger. So, on the one hand, let's acknowledge our struggle with envy and pride, (laughs) And let's deal with the more serious sins of transgenderism and homosexuality, etc. You know, and you could go on down the line. So if a church is guilty of ignoring these and only focusing on those, well, fair enough. That's an issue we should address, right? (laughs) But let's not equate these as if they're equal in gravity and seriousness and consequence. No. They're not. One is toeva, and one is of much less seriousness in terms of its gravity before God. Now, these are also related, aren't they? (laughs) I mean, think about transgenderism. Wanting to be a gender that you are not, and trying to make that happen through surgery, right? Are pride and envy involved with that? Yeah, right? So, all these sins are are related, and pride can lead you to toeva and envy as well. But in terms of struggling with these things in your heart versus actually acting upon them in these sort of blatant and transgressive ways are different in their gravity. And that's that's the point. Also, thinking all sins are equal can lead to disorder in our own conscience. So you can imagine if someone thinks, really believes that all sins are equal. I, if I was struggling with anger, let's just say I had an abusive father and I'm struggling to forgive. If I think that is the same as murder before God, that could devastate my conscience, right? <laughs> um, and so it can lead to that kind of confusion can lead people to be despairing before God. How can I, as a Christian, be a murderer? You know, the Bible says such people will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? It can make you struggle. I must not even be a Christian if you don't recognize that there are degrees of these things, of sin here, right? And not all sins are equal. And some sins we're all going to struggle with on a daily basis, and other sins must not even be named among you, that type of thing. Ephesians chapter 5. So, and then finally, not understanding which sins are worse than others will inevitably lead to wrong judgment in your life and bad decisions in your life. You know, so think of at the grander scale how confusion about degrees of sin, or in our society we just have to say, People don't even believe in sin or moral evil anymore. But confusion on these issues of, of what sins are are worse than others, 
what things are well. Can, it, it's at the root of many public policy issues. Who you vote for, which sins, which evils. As Christians, right, we're always choosing between the lesser of two evils, aren't we? <laughs> right. I mean, there's no pretty much no candidate who will be like, oh yeah, this person is uh, a believing Christian living an upright life. No, it's always like, oh geez, oh man. <laughs> Which is worse? Well, like, we have to make judgment calls about this. If we think that all sins are equal, we can make really bad decisions there, right? Or what about crime and punishment? So I was just thinking about the confusion that was evident a few years back when you had this expose about Planned Parenthood and selling fetal tissue, right? Fetal body parts, let's just be frank. And do you remember who had legal action taken against them? Was it Planned Parenthood? No, it was the person who did the expose. And I was just looking into it a little bit further as I was preparing for this, and I was realizing there was all these articles that came out from CNN and the Washington Post and on and on about how you know Planned Parenthood really wasn't selling any body parts. They were simply receiving due comp- compensation for... Uh, uh, oh, it was... Uh, reasonable reimbursement for fetal tissue. That's how, they, and they were writing these articles justifying why the the lawsuit was in favor of Planned Parenthood. I'm thinking, okay, so this is the type of moral confusion that we're in. That we can look at these two issues and say this is worse. There's nothing wrong here. This is worse than that. Right? We have to have clarity about what sins are truly about weighing up what sins are truly worse than others. My point is, it will have impact upon the judgments we make and the decisions we make in our life if we do not have some degree of clarity on this issue. All right, we're five minutes past, so I'm very tempted to ask for questions because I'm sure that raised a lot of issues in your mind, but hopefully this at least gets you thinking and... uh, Please feel free to come and talk with me after if you have questions or things you want to discuss. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the the truth of your word. How uh, it is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. And we thank you for how it cuts through deception and gives us true wisdom. And Lord, even on this issue of of the doctrine of sin, and particularly today as we've discussed, Lord, the reality that there are degrees of sin. Lord, give us wisdom on this. Help us to think rightly about this. Uh, To avoid, on the one hand, the pitfall of self-righteousness, minimizing our own sin and magnifying others. But on the other hand, avoiding the pitfall of just thinking of all sins as being of equal uh, severity. And uh, so, Lord, Help us in this, and and we pray that this class would equip us to think rightly, at least more rightly, on this issue. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.